ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور يقينا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن مضل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله قال الله تعالى يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون الحمد لله all thanks is for Allah we seek his help and forgiveness we seek refuge in God from the evil within ourselves and the consequences of our evil whoever God guides will never be led astray and whoever God chooses to lead astray will never find guidance i bear witness there is no god but god alone without any partners and i bear witness that muhammad is god's servant and god's messenger you who believe be mindful of god as is god's due and make sure you devote yourself in god to your dying moment this is a verse from Sul Ar Imran chapter 3 ayah number 102 my dear sisters in islam assalamu alaikum and my dear sisters in faith and humanity assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh i begin in the name of allah most compassionate most merciful i begin by sending abundant blessings upon his holy messenger who's this messenger he's the sealer of the seal of prophethood He is the healer of our soul. He is our master. He is the lover of Allah, Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wa sallam. And I extend blessings upon his progeny and his family. Allah reveals in chapter 9 verse number 71. And the believing men and the believing women are protectors of one another. They enjoin right and forbid what is wrong. and they establish worship and they pay the zakah or the poor rate and they obey allah and his messenger as for these allah will have mercy on them allah is mighty and wise i'm humbled today to deliver this khutbah to, and grateful for the almighty to have brought us together based on the request the topic we have chosen is to speak about the daughter of the holy prophet fatima az-zahra and this daughter of the holy prophet is also i would like to present to her to you as the image of her mother khadija al-kubra now fatima az-zahra is very dear to me because i've learned a lot of lessons from her inshallah i will share it with you many of us in this world seek role models role models in our environment These role models achieve greatness and inspire us to do the same. Many of us want to be associated with people who we like and then we like to consider them our role models. For me this person is Fatima, daughter of our holy prophet. I have learned much from her that has influenced my life. So how do I begin sharing with you about Fatima? I will do so by introducing to you her mother Khadija. You see life 1400 years ago was very different from the life we live in. In fact, sometimes it's hard to envision or imagine what it was like. 
but Khatija's story is relevant, relevant to our times. Not because she was an independent woman, not because she had her own business, not because she was able to hire both men and women in her business, not because she was the wealthiest woman in Arabia. She was all of that, but she was more. And she was, her contribution is what we will talk about. It's not about what she did, it's how she did it. See, Khadija bint Khwailid traded fairly and honestly. This is why traders wanted to do business with her. They knew there would be no cheating involved. Her goods was of the utmost quality. Her caravans would travel from Yemen to Syria, from Egypt to Persia. And because of that, her business thrived. She was given the title Amira Quraysh, the princess of the Quraysh. Khadija was a great recruiter. Uh, she spotted qualities that mattered to her business. That is why when she saw the Holy Prophet and she saw his quality of truthfulness and honesty, she inquired about him. She was told, we will, we will observe his conduct. Let us see what we find out. And they did. She received the reports. She said, hire him. And they did. Now, after that, we must recognize Khadija was self-sufficient. She did not need a man in her life to support her. She had what she needed. She was attracted to Muhammad because of his character and his etiquette and his integrity and his honesty. And because of that, and after finding out so much about that, she assigned a task to one of her family members. And she said, go and find out from him. I want to ask him to marry me. So they approached his uncle Abu Talib and said, let us go ahead and see if he's interested. And the rest is history. He accepted. But notice what happened here. You see, Khadija taught us the marriage proposal comes from the woman. The acceptance comes from the man. This is Islam, my sisters. Now, Khadija was devoted to her man. She loved him. She cared for him. And when he announced his message from Allah, she was there right by him. She accepted Islam as the first person and the first woman to do so without coercion. No one asked her. No one forced her. She witnessed the revelation. It happened in her home. Khadija gave all her wealth to charity, the poor, the orphans, and then for propagation of her husband's religion. This is before it became incumbent upon us Muslims to do that, to give to the poor, to give to the orphans, to take care of the widows, and to spend in the propagation of Islam. It was all before that. I would like to think she set the tone. So according to journalist Yasmina Blackburn, who wrote a, an article in the Huffington Post this past August, she has a one-liner that introduces Khadija. She says, let me introduce you to Islam's first feminist. 
Now, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, once said, the four greatest women of mankind were Khadija bint Khawailid, his wife, Fatima bint Muhammad, his daughter, Maryam bint Imran, mother of Jesus, and Asiya bint Muzahin, wife of Fir'aun. I don't have time to go into the details of these women. Suffice it to say, these women lived in turbulent times and they prevailed. Much to learn for us. So I guess Khadija liberated many things for us women. How to marry, how to be self-sufficient, how to be not intimidated by male in the society, and how to question the status quo. Because when it came time to seeing good over not so good, she chose her path freely. Khadija's history didn't treat her kindly. You see, the Meccans and the Qurayshi people were appalled at the Prophet's message. At the end, it was a threat to their, what they called their own lifestyle. And so, at one point in their lives, they were exiled from Mecca. And for three years, Khadija and her husband and their youngest child and their only child at the time was Fatima. They were exiled to a valley outside of Mecca where they struggled for three years. After that, soon after that, they returned back to Mecca and Khadija died. When she died in the year 620 AD, the prophet declared that year the year of sorrow and grief. He called it Amul Huzn. This was Khadija, my sisters. Now, perhaps, we can understand her daughter, the youngest one. You see, Fatima was the youngest and beloved child of the Holy Prophet. And she was only five or six when her mother died. Yet, she had already been exposed to so much. She was out there in the valley at the age of two or three. It's interesting to note that when we experience hardship, it matures us. And I will share my own experiences. You see, you heard from the introduction, I was born in Zanzibar, but I was three when I left. There was a revolution, there was a lot of turmoil at the time in the early 60s, and my parents left for safer areas, and there, my mom's parents had already moved to Pakistan at the time that welcomed refugees from Africa. And so we went and stayed with her. We were separated from our father. My father lived in Dubai. He left right away to seek employment and trade. This is way before the oil. So I guess within three or four years, my parents migrated two or three times until they found their final place. And I remember as a child watching them struggle, how to make ends meet, although their goals were very solid, we want education for our girls. We were only girls. There were no boys in our family. And we want to make sure that nothing comes between what is right for them. I remember my father would stand in long lines in Dubai, hot sun in Dubai, at the UN office, getting funding for our education. See, at the time, there were no schools, so we had to pay for schools, and it was in, in the Catholic school that I went to, and alhamdulillah, I watched them do that. I was five. I don't ever forget that. Fatima was five when her mother died. Pretty sure she didn't forget that. Who is this Fatima? 
we've seen how she could have learned some qualities from her own mother. But remember, she grew up under the tutelage of her father. So let's think about this for a minute. What did she learn from her father? She was a young kid, so naturally she felt quite safe holding his hand walking the streets of Mecca. And he would take her to places. Why? Because A, there was nobody home to leave her with. B, she wanted to be with him. And C, he wanted her to see what was going on. What did it take to create a movement? What were some of the adversarial issues he would face when he would try to explain to people what is right and what is wrong? She was right there with him. So that when people would throw trash over him, she would wipe it off from him. And when he would negotiate with the town folks on matters of the state or the city, she was right there watching him. And she knew how to stand up for what is right. This is the daughter of the man who inherited qualities and values not from his lineage of, say, his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, or from his great-grandfather, Abd Manaf, or from the tribe of Quraysh, or from the people of Mecca. No. This was the man who inherited what was given to Abraham and Moses and Jesus. This was the man. His inheritance was not the material. His inheritance was that which was divine. This is Muhammad, the final link of divine message and justice and the rightful chain after that he could only share with Fatima. Imagine what she was learning. You see, this Islam has freed women right from the beginning. The Holy Prophet's daughter herself was so empowered. We don't practice that. Our male societies want to keep it away from us. Subhanallah, this is a start. And we, my dear sisters, will continue it. I'm going to use some context from Dr. Shariati's book. He has written a book called Fatima is Fatima, very briefly. He said the first years of her life coincide with the first years of his mission. And the difficulties and tortures came right from the beginning of his mission. Fatima, from among the youngest children of Muhammad, is the one who suffered the most with him. To bear the heavy weight of responsibility of the decree the message. She was fully aware of his struggles. She knew she had to be right there with him fighting. While her father would do this and gain consciousness upon mankind of what he had to bear on his shoulders, she saw the enmity of the Qureshi and the Meccans right there. She saw her mother support her father. Remember, she would go up to the mountain to deliver things. And if any of you have been to Mecca today and you have been and seen the cave up there, it's a rocky mountain. It's not a nice trail path for hiking. She would do that for him way back then, 1400 years ago. She, Fatima, knew her father was a political figure and that there, what comes with politics, open book, right? There was no secrets for him. 
And she knew she had to be right there. She wanted to support him. She wanted to be there with him so that she could prevent people from saying things that were wrong to him. This was a tough time for her. She watched him share the message of the Quran. She learned the philosophy of the Quran. She watched him answer the questions. That's how we gain knowledge. Fatima was always learning, a learning which, similar to light, air, and food to a plant, never ends. Fatima's learning taught value to the women at the time. She taught me the value of education. Her sufferings continued. You see, history of Fatima mirrors the history of her mother. They were exiled. She saw that. Her mother was sick at the time. These early prosecutors of Muslims were prevalent, very powerful. And then Khadija dies. And Fatima, a young girl, becomes the sole advocate of her father. She would nurture him, take care of him, comfort him. And he gave her the title Um Abiha the mother of her father. If any of you are familiar with the Arabic culture, the title of a father or a mother is usually given from that of their children. You are either Um Layla, the mother of Layla, or Abul Qasim, as was the prophet's title, the father of Qasim. So it's very interesting that the prophet himself, out of love, called her the mother of her father. She was a young child. When her father migrated to Medina, <clears throat> she was now already married to Ali ibn Abu Talib. Ali was the first cousin of the Prophet. Ali was also the closest companion to the Holy Prophet. Ali, as Khadija put it, was raised by Khadija and Muhammad in the household of the Prophet. And so he had access, she had access to him. By the way, her marriage was not arranged. Hmm? There were many people who wanted the daughter's hand of the prophet, right? But uh, she was selective. You see, she knew she had to be right there with her father, and the mission of this prophethood was taking a turn, a very difficult turn against the people of Mecca who were not following him, hence the migration to Medina. And so she knew that the person she wanted to marry would have had to be a person who understood his mission. And therefore, when her father asked her, Fatima, Ali is wondering, would you take him for a husband? She responded and said yes. This is the story of Fatima's marriage. Now, in Medina, what did I learn from that? Choose freely, right? In, when she migrated to Medina, she took it upon herself, because remember, the city of Medina was a beautiful city. They welcomed the prophet. They said, for you, anything. It was very different from Mecca. And she decided this is a safe environment, much like this mosque, subhanAllah. And it, she said, I'm going to teach and educate. She had a lot of willpower at the time and a lot of freedom. She had already children, girls, boys. I'll get to that later. But she wanted to make sure the community of the prophet was educated. So that with education comes choices. With choices come good decisions. And Fatima knew the mission of her father to survive would have had to have that. So she educated. She would hold classes for the women. And how did, what did I learn? I learned assertiveness from her. Because when she 
decided people were against her father or they would go against the rights of women, she stood up for them. At one point, when it was her way to fight for her own inheritance, she had no problem going to the courts, no problem quoting the verses of the Quran, no problem dis discussing with them to say, what is right and what is wrong, I learned from my father. She taught me assertiveness, standing up for yourself. Fatima's relationship with her father was unique. Now, I am a daughter to a father, right? All of us are, because we are women. And when dads want some attention, who do they go to? Their girls, right? Fathers go to their girls. So one day, the Holy Prophet was coming home from the mosque or from his business, whatever affairs he was, and he was feeling a little under the weather. So he went to Fatima, and he said, Oh, Fatima, today I'm visiting you. She welcomed him, of course. And he said, I seem to be under the weather. And she said, don't worry, you know, what would we do today? Let me give you honey, let me give you water, let me give you this. She probably did exactly the same thing. And it was at that time that the prophet recognized the importance of her role. That this is Fatima, my daughter, and she is going to carry this message forward because only one of your own would do that, right? One you trust the most, one you have full confidence in. And it was at her house that the verse of the Quran was revealed in chapter 33, ayah number 33, where Allah tells the uh, messenger through the angel Jibra'il, what does he tell him? He says, Innama amruhu idha arada shay'an nay. Sorry, that is ayah from the Surah Yasin. He says to her, <clears throat> إِنَّمَا يُرِيدُ اللَّهِ لِيُذْهِبَ عَنْكُمُ الرِّجْسَ أَهْلَ الْبَيْتِ وَيُطَهِّرَكُمْ تَطْهِيرًا This verse was revealed in the house of Fatima, not in the house of the Prophet. Because as you can see, each verses of the Qur'an has context, right? Some are in Medina, some are in Mecca, some are in when he was uh, with his uh, companions, some were revealed in his home, some were revealed in secrecy, some were revealed in public. The Qur'an revelation was in multiple points and places. This particular ayah, so the people asked him, who are this Ahlul Bayt? And he could have said, it's me and my family or whatever. He responded, it is Fatima and her father and her husband and her children. He gave credence and importance to his daughter. This, my dear sisters, is our right in Islam. This is where we get, and that's where when I said how much I learned from Fatima, she's my role model. Because there is absolutely nothing I can find that goes against what I would like to do. And you know us, we like to pick the things we like, right? <laughs> the rest of the things we say, no problem, maybe it's not for me. This one was for me. Fatima, she was the wife, the daughter, and, uh, and the leader of the women today that I aspire to. But her death came early. She died, some say she was 20, some say she was 25. She died in the same year the Holy Prophet died. And, my, and, and for, for me, I think, what a travesty. Because what could she have done? If she already taught me so much, what could she have done if she had lived 30, 40, 50, 60, 70? What could she have taught me? So I ask you, Qawli, 
أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم. I say what I have said. May Allah forgive all of us. Alhamdulillah. In chapter four, Surah An-Nisa, the chapter of the women, in verse number one twenty-four, Allah says, "Woman yamal min al-salihat min dhakarin aw unta wa huwa mu'min, faulaika yadkhulun al-janna wa la yudlamun nakira." Whoever does right work, righteous work, whether male or female. And he or she is a believer, such will enter paradise, and they will not be wronged. I'd like to present a challenge to this group. You see, lessons I've learned from Fatima, women's rights of inheritance, women's right of spirituality, or lack thereof, lessons around social interaction, she learned that from her father, uh, how to help those who are underprivileged. She believed in self-sustenance. Never in her family did she take money from the treasury. You know, they worked for their living. And so did all the prophets, by the way. No, we've heard of prophets being carpenters and, and uh, shepherds and uh, teachers. They never, they never took money from the treasury. Even a prophet like Dawood, he was a king, King David. He still had a trade. I ask all of us, my dear sisters, to take stock of our life. Assess our contributions to our community. And our families and our neighbors and humanity. Look deep within ourselves and establish a connection between our career or trade with the impact of our lives in this earth. As you do this, think about the women who have influenced you in your life. Your mom, your teacher, your congresswoman, anybody in your life. Those who have left a mark on you. I guarantee each of us have that person today, or we wouldn't be here. Somehow we got the drive and the push. Someone who made an impression on us to continue as role models. And always, it isn't where these people have done, uh, lived or what they've done. It's usually how they've done it that have inspired me. So when we look forward, it is incumbent upon us to consider the path we choose for tomorrow. A future of an information age where our news is consumed instantaneously, where issues are no longer local or regional, but they're global. A future where priorities are being redefined in a world influenced by change, climate change, economic change, political change, familial change, how our families look like. We need to get together and do a better job at doing what we do best. Those of us who are mothers and who have children, we must influence them. We have to raise the next generation to be respectful, considerate, open-minded, educated, and teach them the right way to do things. So for our girls, we have to teach them the way to interact with the boys. Yeah, not to treat women as objects to own, or ridicule, or sexual pleasures. For our boys, we have to teach them to respect these women. Now, Islam says it is precautionary to be segregated. But we live in this country, in these times, in this world, where segregation is not an option. 
We go to school, we're integrated. We go to work, we're integrated. So I challenge you that perhaps we should learn how to integrate with caution rather than segregate. Uh, not for us, by the way, mashallah, salah, very, very, right there, I'm right there with you. I'm talking about interaction with people, right? Raising our boys to have some kind of values in them. See, if we raise our boys this way, they will not look down upon the women, no matter who they are. They will find the value of their contribution. Now, we have to raise our girls the same way. And I, I tell you, girls tend to be more internal. They tend to be more sure of themselves, right? They're more comfortable in their own skin, especially these days. SubhanAllah, we are raising confident girls. But I caution one thing. Perhaps we should tell them how it is appropriate to interact with the opposite gender. You see, to, to talk down, to demean their contribution, or to always criticize may not necessarily get us far. We need alliances, right? So we need to teach our girls how to interact with our boys as well. At the end of the day, the lessons we can learn are from the Holy Prophet himself and his daughter. They interacted with multiple genders. We have to raise our children, both boys and girls, to share the same prospects for the future. A future where the boys can do domestic chores and the girls are doing domestic chores. The boys have career paths and the girls have career paths. And parents, please, do not differentiate between your genders when you're raising them. Do not give privileges to the boy more. It's 2015 for crying out loud. We're in 2015. You know? If you're going to give your son the keys to the car at 15, I got news for you. The rules better be the same for the girl. See, in my household, when my daughter was born, my oldest was 12 already. And I knew I'd had to dangle those keys pretty soon. So we set a rule. We said, nobody drives before the age of 17. We heard the hemming and the hawing. And when they asked, I said, we have a girl. She was one. And we said, if the rules are for you, they will be for her. And I have no desire to have her driving at 15. So guess what? Everyone's driving at 17 wasn't easy. I'm not saying it's easy to set rules and guidelines and boundaries. All of us will do it in our own way. But I can tell you, we women have, have that gene in us, that, that gene that says we can do everything all at once, which sometimes is our tragedy. Because we, become, we go from being martyrs to victims. Because we take on everything. And I tell you, sisters, surround yourself with sisters like you. Get community of helpers. Make sure that we are, con we are talking to the teachers in our schools where our children go to, so that they understand our values and they will support us in the raising of our children. It can't be two separate rules, one in school, one at home. That's confusing. So if we have the same values everywhere, inshallah, we will get a generation of change managers, people who will support the mission of the Holy Prophet. You see, <clears throat> mothers in this room, whoever you are, in one day, we can go from being a professional to a caregiver to a mom. And then our children say, you are superheroes, mom, yes. But you've seen the new show, Superwoman? Well, she only thrives when there's a problem, right, to solve? 
And that's what our role is. So then all of a sudden, in one day, we're the engineer, we're the chef, we're the doctor, we're the nurse. We, we, we change professions in one day. And we forget to take care of ourselves. And when we do that, our whole family suffers. So sisters, take care of yourself. Take time out from these kind of things. Engage with sisters like you, help each other for support. Do not take this journey alone. And if you choose to have a spouse, then choose one who will be right there with you to support you in your mission. Otherwise, your struggle will be worse than it started. Right? <laughs> choose a man or partner who will be right there with you. See, the, the way of life in all faiths and in all schools of thoughts are the same. We want our people to make good choices. We want them to have good manners. We want people to have a caring and kind community where we are taking care of those who are in need. We all want that. doesn't matter what you look like. And when we do that, we will transform societies away from hate and power and greed and all these things that are that are tempting people's minds and straying them away from what is right. We, my dear sisters, must walk the talk. So we will take five seconds to celebrate what we do, and then we have to get right back to business, right? Because we've got work to do. Now, I can tell you that sometimes women achieve great things in our communities. The first woman Muslim astronaut the first woman who received the Nobel Prize. The, but how many of us talk about that? No one. And I've got news for you, sisters. If you think our men are going to do that, they're not. That's why we haven't heard about them, right? So let us be our own PR people. And uh, Maheen, she is director of what? Communication or something? Media and communications. Maybe she should hold a class for us. Because we want to be good at the media and communication. Tell our stories. You see, our cultures have taught us to be in the background, right? No, it doesn't work anymore. No one's telling our story, so let's be in the forefront. Let us tell our stories. Let it be known. And I tell you, sisters, if you've heard about Malala, it wasn't because of us. It wasn't because of us, all right? It was the outside community there who raised her status to a point where she is the now the Muslim woman who has set a pace for us. She's opened the door for us in our generation. And we didn't do it. Did we invite Malala to our centers? Did we talk about her accomplishments in our lectures? No. Did we make the movie about her? No. It doesn't matter what the agenda or the intent is for people out there. At the end of the day, we have to promote our success. I want to end with one last tradition. You see, it's no secret, right? I'm Shia. And in the Shia tradition, when we have a gathering like this, or any other gathering, we usually send blessings upon the Holy Prophet and his family. It is a congregational thing. When we do that, the entire congregation joins in. So there is a verse in the same surah, chapter 33, surah Ahzab, ayah number 56. Allah says, Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi. 
يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما Oh Allah, this is the verse given to the Holy Prophet, yeah? All the wahi, all the revelations came to him. And he was told, surely Allah and his angels send blessings upon you, O Prophet. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, O you who believe, send your blessings upon him and greet him with respect and peace. This is the eye of the Quran. So in our congregations, and you will find when I end the salah today, we usually say, إِنَّ اللَّهُ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِي يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا صَلُّوا عَلَيْهُ وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا And together we will respond, اللَّهُمَّ صَلِّ عَلَى مُحَمَّدٍ وَآلْ مُحَمَّدٍ That's how we respond. So inshallah, together, right? Can we practice maybe? إِنَّ اللَّهُ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa al Muhammad. Right? This is a tradition in us. And I thought I would leave you with that, uh, inshallah, as a general practice in this salah. We will always read an ayah of the Quran followed by the loud response that I have just said. Together today, we will, we will um, pray. But before that, let me end with Inna Allah ya'muru bil'adl wal-ihsan wa-ita'i dhil-qurba wa-yanha anil-fahshai wal-munkar wal-baghyi ya'idhukum la'allakum tadhakkaroon God commands justice, doing good, generosity towards relatives and he forbids what is shameful, blameworthy and oppressive. He teaches you so that you may take heed and pay attention to that and reflect. Please join me in this dua together. I ask you, O oh Allah, to grant us our resolve to continue to work on improving our own selves, our character, our connection towards you. O oh Allah, guide us on the path of humanitarian outreach and build relationship with people of all faiths and backgrounds. O oh Allah, remove the veil of ignorance and enlighten us with the spirit of your awareness and justice. O oh Allah, there are so many people struggling for their health. Grant them recovery and cure for those who are ill. O oh Allah, with the troubles around the world and the displacement of so many families, Remove the worries of those who are in need and homeless and grant them security. O oh Allah, let not those who attempt to defame and destroy the very foundation of God consciousness succeed. Protect the essence of your religion and the ummah of your beloved prophet.